Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up. Today we have Carr Ingham, a petroleum economist for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. But hey, first I wanted to tell you that Shell Magazine is producing a new issue with Brian Sheffield, the president of Parsley Energy. So be sure to get yourself a copy or just go online and you can look at the latest issue of Shell Mag. That is S-H-A-L-E. MAG.com. I also want to remind the listeners that this week coming up will be Sarah Week. And of course, we will be there uh, interviewing CEOs and executives from some of the major companies and some of the largest companies dealing with energy. So we'll be there. If you're there, come and look me up. Come say hi. I'd love to take a picture with you and chat. But now it's time to bring on our resident energy expert and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. Hey, David, how are you this week? Just wonderful. It's a beautiful day in Texas. Can you believe the sun is out finally? How many weeks have we gone without? I don't know. You know, I know you're in Dallas, but in San Antonio and South Texas, we were socked in for three weeks straight. Cold, hey, I rainy. Had, uh, eight and a half inches of rain in my backyard in two days, uh, the span of two days the other, other day. So it's been quite a week, quite a period of time up here, too. Oh, I'm just so glad to see the sun. It's so nice to just go out and have your face soak in some of the sun. Uh, you don't really know how much you love it until it's gone for a yeah. long time. Isn't uh, that the truth? Well, you know, some interesting things are going to happen next week. We're all prepping for Sarah Week. It's uh, going to be coming to Houston. Uh, and we have reports from the Houston Chronicle that Sanusi Barkendo, the chairman of OPEC, We'll be having dinner with the CEOs of several U.S. producers. So I'm curious, what do you think that night is going to look like? Man, wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall at that meeting? I am going to beg, steal, and borrow to try to get (laughs) an access into that dinner. (laughs) You know, in a a, a dinner like that, here, I'm sure uh, Mr. Barkindo is going to want to talk about uh, a lot of things that the CEOs uh, being in a room together probably can't talk about. Because he's probably going to want to talk about the need for them to curtail their production and control their drilling levels and not flood the market with U.S. oil and all that stuff. And and our antitrust laws, uh, you know, would dictate that uh, these guys can't really even have that conversation in a room together. So uh, I suspect that uh, it's going to be uh, a lot of talk about uh, social things and grandkids and things like that. Uh, and not a lot of talk about business getting done uh, just because of the nature of U.S. antitrust laws. But it sure would be fun to be in the room with all those folks. Well, you know, we talk a lot about OPEC and the dynamics between OPEC, uh, which is the cartel for most of the, you know, oil people that are or countries that have oil outside of the United States. And then, of course, there's our U.S. producers, shell producers and and independence, and it's it's always a, a kind of a teeter totter type of uh, scenario. But in many ways, I mean, I think it makes sense that um, you know we all uh, 
as an industry in, in energy, not we all, but the energy industry, you know, uh, it wasn't good for anyone worldwide when uh, the oil prices tanked, right? And it wasn't good right. for consumers. I mean, at the, at the pump it was, but after a while when everybody started to get laid off, laid off it wasn't good. So, I mean, some of this is hopefully where they can come to some kind of an agreement, I would hope, that no one benefits by flooding the market and creating too much and putting too much product out on the market and, and maybe coming to some kind of an agreement is a good thing. Yep. No, that's true. And even for their shareholders. So uh, interesting. I'm I'm very excited about going to Sarah Week and we have interviews set up with some uh, uh, CEOs from like Emerson, but I'm definitely going to try to see if I can find this uh, gentleman, Mr. Barkindo, and see if I can grab him for a few seconds, but they probably are not going to let me get near him. <laughs> <laughs> sure, he has a security detail, but yes. they might. You never know. <laughs> well, in other in other news, the Trump administration um, received a report from the Royalty Policy Committee that would cut royalty rates on the new deep water wells by a third. So, what do you think the reason for this is? Well, here's a fun fact: uh, I was actually the chairman of the Royalty Policy Committee at the Department of Interior. Uh, in 1998 and 99, when I was uh, in the middle of my career in the industry. Um, it's fun to see it uh, back together, actually making recommendations like this. Uh, so, of course, uh, this this proposal uh, early in the week was met with negative media. Oh, Trump's trying to give money away to the oil and gas industry. Uh, what what the administration would like to do is, is restart the deep water industry out in the Gulf of Mexico. And what none of the reports that I read noted is the fact that Bill Clinton in 1995 signed into law the Deepwater Royalty Relief Act, which didn't just reduce royalty rates on deepwater wells. It actually gave producers who went out there and invested billions of dollars to, to find oil and produce it. It gave them a five-year holiday from paying any royalties at all. Uh, so this proposal, by comparison, would reduce a 16.67% royalty rate uh, by one-third, which would be some, somewhere around 11%. You would still be paying in federal royalties, uh, just as a means of trying to stimulate new growth and, and new production out there in the deep waters of the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, it seems like a pretty reasonable thing to be doing if you really want the industry to uh, produce as much oil and gas as it can out there in the Gulf of Mexico. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not really sure. Of course, the people uh, in the news media uh, who report on these things tend to be very young and have no memory of what Bill Clinton did in 1995. But this is not unprecedented. It's actually a pretty conservative proposal. Yeah, they always spin it a totally different way. A question, who, who are the royalty owners? Since it's in the ocean, well, the federal government is. Uh, so it's the waters are the uh, the domain of the United States government. Anything past it's it's kind of complicated. Off of the Texas coast, Texas controls the first twelve miles off of its coast, and Texas receives the royalties. And then outside of that is federal waters. Off of every other state, uh, the state controls three three miles, and the federal government controls everything else and receives the royalties. Um, and so it's just like producing on federal lands. The royalty owner is the government. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of interesting because 
you know, the general population doesn't really have anything to gain or lose by this at all. If you're not uh, an oil company and if you're not in the administration or you're not in the government, this doesn't even apply to you. So it's kind of strange <laughs> that everybody's yeah. complaining about it. Uh, the Dallas Federal Reserve reported this week that the uh, that manufacturing in Texas is now at a very high level, and it's higher than it's been since 2005. So given that the natural gas plays um, have played a big role in these uh, manufacturing processes, shouldn't the oil and gas industry get some credit for making this happen? You bet. You bet. I mean, uh, most we'll give of this it to manufacturing, them. <laughs> yeah, and they should take credit, and they should. Uh, be more aggressive, frankly, about taking credit for that. Uh, one of the, I love the industry, I love the oil and gas industry, but one of its big uh, failings is uh, the failure to brag about things like this. Because quite honestly, most of these manufacturing uh, new facilities, billions and billions of dollars in new investment in Texas over the last seven or eight years are, are due to the simple fact that we have this incredible abundance of very affordable natural gas here in the United States. And, and it's, you know, these manufacturing businesses, they're plastics companies, they're chemical manufacturers, fertilizer companies, steel companies. I mean, just all manu manner of manufacturing processes that use natural gas and petroleum liquids uh, as their feedstocks for, for their processes and, and the products they produce. So it's just, it's an amazing renaissance that we're having in this country, not just in Texas, but all over the country in these hard manufacturing businesses and hundreds of thousands of new jobs. And unfortunately, because the oil and gas industry doesn't really brag much about it, it doesn't get much credit for it, but it should. It definitely should. Well, David, that is all the time we have for this week. And uh, I look forward to getting you back on the show next week so I can tell you if I was able to track down Mr. Barkendo. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll be fun to talk about. <laughs> yes, but I'm going to have a lot of stories because, you know, everything happens in Sarah Week. So it's going to be awesome. And so until next week, have a great weekend, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Great. I'll look forward to it. And with that, we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. You know, great companies take great care of their employees. Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485. PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association who is the unified voice for the energy industry's service, supply, and manufacturing organizations, advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation, technological innovation, and economic stability. PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to PESA.org, click on the membership tab, and fill out an application. Once again, that's PESA.org. Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong, serving independence, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. 
Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. Company members range from one employee to large independents. Lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at sandis at texasalliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Carr Ingham, a petroleum economist with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Carr, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you again. Yes, you were on the show some time back. Uh, I believe it was last year, and uh, a lot of things change in oil and gas quickly, uh, but this is a new year. So I wanted to bring you back on the show because obviously one of the most important jobs in oil and gas, and, and honestly even for the community, is to understand what oil and gas is doing, and you are the expert uh, in that area. But but before we get started with all of the questions that I have for you on how is oil doing, I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about who uh, you are with um, the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, like a petroleum economist. Please talk to me a little bit about what is your role there and what do you basically do for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers? Well, the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers itself is uh, simply a trade association. It's an association of persons that are involved in the production, exploration production for crude oil and natural gas, primarily in Texas, although we've got, we've got members from 30-some-odd states, I believe. But that means they either have Texas production or they have some other connection to the oil and gas business in Texas. And we are a sizable association. The downturn cut into us a little bit size-wise, but we have 26, 2,700 members somewhere around in there. And so that makes us easily the largest statewide oil and gas association in the country. And that makes sense, of course, because Texas is easily the largest oil and gas producing state in the country. So our membership and our leadership and our board um, – have essentially hired me or commissioned me, and I've been working with them to provide them with just things that uh, organizational economists would typically do, and these are the things that I do for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And in addition to that, I put out, oh, kind of a high-profile monthly piece of work called the Texas Petro Index. And so this is just a this is just uh, an analytical tool that is owned by the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers that tracks the condition of the oil and gas business in the state of Texas. So it's like pretty much any other index that you know or hear about. Uh, it's anchored at a particular point in time when things are good, when the industry is expanding, the index is on the way up and is rising. And when the industry is in a state of contraction, 
the index is in a state of contraction, and it uh, has as its components things like prices for crude oil and natural gas, the rig count, number of drilling permits issued in Texas, uh, oil and gas well completions in the state, the estimated volume and value of crude oil and natural gas production in Texas, and then not unimportantly at all, of course, the number of persons that are employed in that business in Texas. And so uh, we put that thing out every month, and it goes to a pretty sizable media distribution list. So I provide a considerable amount of internal information to the Alliance for our membership and leadership, uh, but that thing is sort of designed to inform uh, the public um, and many public constituencies, uh, citizens, uh, persons who live uh, in uh, economies that are affected by oil and gas, by political leadership, and what have you. Well, Carr, that certainly is a lot to uh, digest. I want to unpack just a little bit of that. Um, so Texas Alliance of Energy Producers is, you know, obviously you said the largest association, mostly a lot of independent operators. Uh, but who are some of like the, who are some of your members or what are the ideal members? Can you give us just a few as an example so we know the type of companies that um are members of the association. Back in 2000, uh, the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association, which is by and large the Abilene uh, and surrounding area, and then the North Texas Oil and Gas Association, which is just that, North Texas, Wichita Falls. Uh, in fact, North Texas was headquartered in Wichita Falls. West Central Texas was headquartered in Abilene. Well, those two associations merged in 2000 and went statewide to become the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. But uh, so that was sort of our core membership profile there for a while, um, and we still have strong membership in those regions. And you hit the nail on the head. It is the uh, smaller independents, although we've got some sizable independents as members as well. But the independent part of that is what drives it. Uh, so we've got membership of all sizes of companies, from very small uh, single operator companies to very large in terms of some of the larger publicly traded independents that everybody knows about and will have heard of. Uh, so that's our membership profile, but we exist to represent independent oil and gas producers. Uh, and you're not wrong about that. We more or less um, uh, serve as the voice for the smaller independent producers who don't have within their own shop uh, governmental relations experts and economists and things of that nature. So uh, that that's sort of our service profile um, and our our geographic presence has expanded statewide too, of course. So we've got that strong uh, North Texas and West Central Texas membership. We've got strong East Texas membership, South Texas membership. Uh, Permian has a great association, but we've got some significant Permian membership as well. Same with here in the Panhandle, uh, and our Houston presence has really uh, grown. Uh, over the last 15 years or so. So it truly is a statewide association that represents independent oil and gas producers and their interests in Texas. Well, and, you know, quickly, you do a lot of different events, you know, for the members. It gives great value. Some of them like the Texas, I'm sorry, the Wildcatters event in which it's four times a year, and you're recognizing some really outstanding uh, oil and gas producers. Um, and then, of course, you have your annual yearly conference and expo, too. So, some amazing uh, things that you guys do at the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. But, Carr, we do have to take a quick break. When we return, I want to get back into now what is the economist. I want you to put your economist hat on and let's talk about Texas oil and gas. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Oilfield Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Carr Ingham, Petroleum Economist for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And Carr, I want now to jump on specifically what you do in your area of expertise, which is, of course, uh, being a petroleum economist. And there's a lot of discussion, a lot of uncertainty uh, in the market, but there usually always is when you talk about oil and gas. And so we want to get your expert opinion and some clarity on. um, Let's talk about expansion and recovery, just for a moment, in Texas and the U.S. oil and gas activity. Uh, Give me a little bit of an update on what you think that all involves right now. Well, thankfully, we are finally in a period of expansion and recovery in the oil and gas upstream economy, which is, say, the exploration production end of the business. As you know, we went through a nasty couple of years um, with an 80% decline in crude oil prices, which then brought about a 75 to 80% decline in the rig count, um, 70% or so decline in the number of drilling permits issued across the state. Uh, dramatic declines in the number of wells that were drilled and completed. Um, And then, of course, uh, importantly, tens of thousands of jobs lost uh, in the industry in Texas. We went from well over 300,000 upstream jobs on the payrolls of operating and producing companies, drilling companies, service companies, lost over 100,000 of those over the course of that downturn. We're beginning to add some of those back now. In fact, we've probably added back 25 to 30,000 jobs at this point, but we're nowhere near where we were at these peak levels. However, things are looking up. Oil and gas uh, prices, oil crude oil prices in particular, have improved off of their low point, which occurred in February 2016. So the rig count has come up. Uh, drilling activity is uh, has uh, recovered and continues to expand. We are adding jobs now. So again, we're nowhere near these peak levels that we observed in late 2014 uh, 
when prices were high, uh, before things began to tank as a result of price collapse. But we are moving in the right direction. And 2017 finally was a full year of growth and recovery in the oil and gas business in Texas, although we still have a ways to go. Well, you know, um, I think everyone in Texas especially was well aware, even if their jobs didn't involve oil and gas, we were aware that there was a significant change occurring in the state of Texas because Texas's oil and gas is so uh, a big part of, of uh, Texas um, in many ways, jobs, of course, and then the, the rainy day fund and taxes and uh, those things. But what do you see towards the end of the year pertaining to all of these different uh, situations occurring worldwide? You're well aware, I'm sure, that it wasn't that long ago. Uh, certainly uh, during the early part of the decade of the 2000s, the general line of thought was, the conventional wisdom was that crude oil and petroleum production was on the decline. It had been on the decline for decades, was going to continue to be on the decline, and that there was nothing that could be done about this. Higher prices would not affect this. In other words, general economics as we understand them would not work because producing more crude oil and more petroleum-related energy was simply not geologically possible. Well, we now know that to be absolutely and dead wrong. The production increases we've seen not only in crude oil but natural gas as well have been nothing short of stunning and astounding and utterly unexpected. Our state, our nation, the consuming public of uh, the state and the United States, and in fact the world, is the great beneficiary of this uh, explosion in production. And so that sort of sets the stage for everything that's happened since then. And in fact, of course, it was oversupply as a result of this production that resulted in this 80% price decline. So where do we find ourselves in 2017 looking ahead to 2018? Well, there's no doubt about the fact that prices have been well supported uh, throughout 2017 and now looking ahead to 18 by the decision by OPEC and the other parties to that agreement to remove about 1.8 million barrels a day of crude oil production from the marketplace. If that weren't the case, prices would simply not be nearly as high as they are right now. They have agreed, and we assume they will stick to this, that they're going to keep these uh, production limitations in place through the year end 2018. I think there's a reason to believe that prices will be uh, generally favorable to continued expansion for the balance of the year. And then we'll have to see what happens after that. And the reason we'll have to is that because we don't know what OPEC and those other producing countries are going to do at that point in time, never mind the fact, and this is a point that we have to spend some time talking about, production is rapidly on the rise in the United States, and this has market implications for 2018 and beyond. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I want to talk to you about. We do have to take a quick break, though. You are listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha source side-by-side owner study. Oilfield Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. 
Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Carr Ingham with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Carr, before the break, um, you were discussing how there's so much oil and gas all over the world now. When you have so much resources on the planet now, it has uh, the ability to really change the dynamics of what oil and gas, what we once thought about oil and gas. And we're seeing activity. Um, Some of it has been strong upward movement pertaining to oil and gas. I want to get back on that topic because it's important to understand why it's affecting oil prices. So can you talk to me a little bit about before the break, you were discussing how these world oil pockets affect the United States and the prices? Well, there has, of course, for decades and decades and for, you know, long periods of production history, uh, we produced a fair amount of crude oil in the United States. In fact, um, you know, we we grew crude oil production hit our uh, our prior record levels back in the 1970s, early 1970s, and then production has been on the decline ever since then. And we have become increasingly reliant on crude oil that is produced somewhere else. So in the in the mid 2000s, for example, we were importing somewhere around 65 percent of our crude oil production needs. Well, we began uh, to grow production in the United States, and again, this was an unexpected occurrence. But from uh, the 2008-2009 timeframe to 2015 timeframe, when production began to be affected by this crude oil price decline, we well more than doubled crude oil production in the United States, well more than tripled crude oil production in Texas. Well, frankly, I don't think there's any doubt about this, actually. Uh, This is what brought about that 80% decline in crude oil prices. I mean, broadly speaking, we had a 2 million barrel a day oversupply in 2014 when prices began to decline. Well, during this period of production increase in the United States, we grew crude oil production just in the U.S. alone by over 4 million barrels a day. (laughs) So you tell me who the chief offender in terms of of raising global supply and pushing crude oil prices down was clearly it was the United States. I say this with pride, however, uh, because we were able to do this, um, and the and the the price system functioned it was as, as it was supposed to. Prices that were historically in the twenty dollar a barrel range and then up in the hundred dollar plus range did exactly what higher prices are supposed to do, and that is stimulate additional production. And boy, did it ever do that. And we continue to be the beneficiary as an economy uh, of this, as a consumption economy of this production. It's caused some upheaval in the business. There's no doubt about that. But don't forget who we produce things for, and that is the consumer. There's no sense in producing a barrel of oil or an MCF of natural gas other than its end-use consumption, whatever that may be. And so uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, regardless of uh, the cyclical ups and downs in the market, what we've done over the last uh, uh, 15 to 18 years uh, is literally put into place a long-term, abundant, 
affordable, sustainable supply of energy for the American consumer for literally decades to come. That's a fantastic outcome. I wish there were broader recognition of it out there in the consuming public, but it's an extraordinary turn of events. Well, Carr, that is, though, exactly why our show exists, is because, you know, five, six years back, we were we had an export uh, ban that was a 40-year-old ban. We also didn't have the resources that we were drilling here in the United States to where we are now with Shell Place. So I think that if you looked for, even if you just take one topic, which is what about national security? What about why are we importing from other countries that don't like us so much? And what the independent Texas oil producers and, of course, the major oil producers have done is brought that, if you will, brought that power back to the United States and not made us so dependent on other countries. Um, and, and even if you just look at that one topic and say, thank you for doing that, because had it not been technology, had it not been the desire to pull these resources out, to not having our great operators investing their time, energy, and expertise in doing this, we would still be where we were, dependent on other countries. And so um, while it has definitely been a, a game changer and we've seen a lot of movement I completely concur with you that this has been one of the best things that has happened to the United States in a very, very long time pertaining to, uh, you know, national resources and and sending us back in a path of hopefully energy dominance, like our president likes to say, but also more importantly, it gives us back our ability to be a a lot more independent and not codependent on other countries. Um, But I want to get back on oil prices and um, the the movement that has been up, and then we've seen prices retreat. Um, and, and I know we talked about it a little bit, but are they specifically because there's just an abundance going on all over the world coming out? And, and, and are we in jeopardy again, once again, of being a, a, maybe a victim of our own success <laughs> that we drive down prices again? Well, I, I think that's the, that, to me, that's the question of the day right there. Um, and I have to say, I think there is some risk of that. Yes. Um, uh, listen, the the petrol index declined. Um, it lost half of its value over the course of that contraction. Crude oil prices went down by 8%, as I indicated. Rig count went down by 75%. What did not go down all that much was production itself. We finally and it took a while for this to happen, and it didn't happen very fast, and it didn't last very long. But production in the United States actually finally did begin to decline as a result of this price collapse and the resulting uh, decline in drilling activity. But it only went down by, you know, 10, 15 percent, probably closer to 10, actually, uh, and now has been on the rise now for some time, well over a year at this point. I think U.S. production finally bottomed out in about September of 2016, and we are we have grown production dramatically over that period of time. And in fact, as we sit here today, uh, we are in the process of eclipsing every national production record that was in place dating back to the early 1970s. And so, what's happened, of course, is that as the Saudis have removed and other OPEC countries and the other parties to that agreement have removed these barrels from the marketplace. We're in the process of what they did, of course, was push prices upward 
and U.S. producers have responded to those higher prices and are rapidly filling that gap. So of the $1.8 million that they took off the marketplace, we've already put back about 1.2, 1.3 million barrels. And so do I believe that we're going to get through 2018 and 19 unscathed in regards to crude oil prices because of rising production in the United States? I'm not certain of that. Well, and I was going to say, I think that you're kind of right in that, and I'd like to talk about it when we get back from break. But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that will keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Carr Ingham with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And Carr, before the break... We were kind of talking about, are we in a place where we could be once again a victim of our own success with overproducing oil, despite the fact that OPEC has been cut taking you know oil off the market? Is this a po- real possibility? And is the oil market going to respond and seeing we don't want to do this again? Because I have mixed reactions from the independents and from the publicly traded oil companies, and they seem to be on different different paths. So what is your opinion? Well, first of all, in effect, what they did, when I say they, I mean the Saudis, OPEC, and the other parties to that agreement, including Russia, other non-OPEC producers, what they effectively did was cede market share to the global market share to the United States. And they did that for a long time into the future. I, for one, am glad to have it. I'm glad to snatch it from them. um, And I want us to have that rather than them. They did not enter into this Uh, ignorant of that fact. They knew full well what they were going to be doing because they've been down that road before. However, they found themselves uh, needing to do something to provide a little upside support to crude oil prices. Um, And they stood on the sidelines for as long as they could and finally decided they had to act. So in terms of the market's reaction to this production, and frankly, it is a reaction to global production, not just United States production, but of course, our production here in the U.S. and North America is much higher than it used to be, and we're simply just a much larger, much more significant, and in fact, bordering on, at this point, dominant global player um, in terms of energy production, crude oil production in particular. So how is the market going to respond? The only way the market has to signal producers to begin to slow things down a little bit is for prices to fall. Uh, Absent that signal from the marketplace, we are going to continue to grow production. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And what we found is that even when prices do fall and the market is attempting to signal producers to bring less to the marketplace, that it takes longer to get that done, and then production doesn't ultimately fall by very far. Now, what's at the root of that? We could spend another 30 minutes talking about that, but the short answer to that question is technology and the fact that we can do so much more now with fewer resources, fewer rigs, fewer workers, fewer everything, and uh, it is all about providing energy products to their end users, and that's what we're doing. And so, um, so the market reaction to rising production, uh, listen, the market is going to go one of two ways. It's either going to think that uh, it, that we need additional crude oil supplies to meet rising global demand, 
and hopefully that will be the case. Or it will begin to sense that we are once again overproducing and then prices will begin to fall again and uh, other things will fall in response to that. Which one out of the two, the uh, publicly traded companies or the independents, are usually the companies uh, to respond first when they start seeing these changes? Which one do you think relatively acts faster? Well, that's a great question. Uh, That probably kind of depends on their... Uh, internal economics, you know, what is their debt load, uh, what kind of shape are they in when things begin to go south uh, or north, for that matter, um, and how flexible are they in terms of being able to deploy resources, what kind of access to capital do they have, uh, and what kind of face do they have to put on as a publicly traded company about their remarks and uh, the direction they're headed and that sort of thing. Uh, I guess one would tend to think maybe the, the, the smaller non-publicly traded independents have a little more flexibility, but that may not be true if they can't get their hands on the capital they need. So I think that's, I think there's a mixed bag in terms of the answer to that question. Um, and uh, and the, the other thing that depends on is whether or not they're sort of playing the long game or not. Um, and the larger companies, I think, to a greater degree, probably are playing the long game and looking at the longer cycles rather than the short-term events. I think what is unusual for, with the United States versus other countries that are uh, producing oil is they typically are not independent Uh, like the United States, they're usually owned by their country. So they can make these decisions of putting oil on or off the market with us because we're... (laughs) Make no mistake about the importance of what you just said. What you just said is, uh, it's the cornerstone of every speech that I give these days. The United States, in terms of the uh, major oil-producing countries on the planet, is really, and Canada to a large extent as well, uh, North America, though, U.S. and Canada are really the only countries where the market determines what activity levels are going to be. Other than that, it is a centralized governmental decision, and they can make a decision in a day to ramp up production or slow it down. <laughs> so this is frustrating, though, to the to the Saudis. You know, they they sort of assume that when prices began to decline, the rig count was going to go down lickety-split here and that production would fall in a hurry. Uh, well, they just sort of underestimated, I think, the, um, uh, the the power of the market economy to deliver these goods to the marketplace. And I think they also probably underestimated that as Americans, we really love to work. And uh, oil producers are very proud people. And there's a lot when they think about shutting down, which is layoffs and uh, you know, how does this affect our families? So there's so much more that goes into it uh, because these are all independent people versus a government making a decision. And so it's much harder to, to make those uh, decisions. And that's why it seems like there's a million people riding or, or you know, driving a million different buses, which there are <laughs> versus these other countries. Uh, a very difficult decision, I'm sure, for every operator. Well, Carr, that's all the time we have for this show, but we do look forward to bringing you on uh, probably here in the near future to give us another update on what's happening. I think we'll see a lot more activity Uh, out there in the oil and gas sector. And so uh, I hope you will join us back again here soon to give us an update on what's happening uh, in, uh, in the world of energy. Well, the pleasure has been mine, and thanks for having me. I look forward to the next time. Thanks again, Carr, for being a guest on our show today. And congratulations, because you are going to be the topic of today's trivia question. 
Be the first person to email the correct answer of this trivia question to radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at shellmag.com. And you will win yourself a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, an amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Today's trivia question, what is Carr Ingham's title at the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers? Remember to be the first person to email the correct answer to radio at shellmag.com and win yourself a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, a Brazilian steakhouse. Well, that's all the time we have for this show. But if you are interested in keeping up with In the Oil Patch Radio Show or the latest issue of Shell Magazine, you can do that. It's free. All you have to do is go to www.shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and sign up for our free newsletter. Be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Or follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That is going to wrap up another great show. We'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.